Good evening. Happy Saturday. So good to see everybody here. Welcome to the JB Font channel. I'm your host, James Fauntleroy. So good to see all of you on today, February 11th, 2023. Of course, we are live on a Saturday, which is not usual, but hey, what is usual about me? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> I would just like to thank everybody for tuning in for this special stream. I want to thank uh, all of you, just to let you guys know, I'm also always live regularly on Tuesdays at 2. You can also catch me on RBN. I am part of the RBN Network, Revolutionary Blackout Network. You can catch me on Sundays at 1 and on RBN Live on Tuesdays at 4 and the Sabine JB Show on Thursdays at 6. If you are watching this and you already like what you're seeing, then please make sure to give me a big, beautiful thumbs up. A big, beautiful thumbs up. If you did, then I promise you it will change your life. Uh, um, so if you do that, <laughs> what the hell is in that tea? But if you guys do that, then, yeah, uh, you know, I, I promise you cookies and puppies and rainbows and all that other good stuff. But also thanks to all the patrons on Patreon and Coffee as well as the members. Without you guys, I would not be able to do this channel. Thank you to every single one of you who continuously helps support me on this channel. Without you guys, I wouldn't exist. So I got to be up from the top and bottom of my heart. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So as per usual, whenever I have a guest, I wait till after the guest departs so that we can get into some of the super chats as well as tips on Rockfin and other comments and saying the hellos to everybody in the chat. But without further ado, today I have a special guest with me is Midwestern March's own Noah Krejcivic. Uh, so I just wanted to make sure that I said it correctly. You did. And you I think nailed it. All right. Good to see you, man. Thank you so much for joining. Uh, it's it's an absolute pleasure, brother. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm a fan. I'm a fan of everybody at RBN. Uh, looking forward to a good conversation. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so very much. Now, one of the things that I wanted to get into with you, and I typically always ask my viewers, my guests this from the outset. It, oh, by the way, I forgot to say that. Hang on. Sorry. But if you guys are wanting to get notifications, uh, just go to my Substack. I'll put that up a little bit later, too. But thanks. But one of the things that I went to um, talk about was your start, your beginning. Um, were you born on Krypton and then your parents sent you here? And then you came to deliver true justice in the American. What? What? How did Noah become Noah? What in the hell? How did it happen? <laughs> I, I can't believe I can't believe you guessed correctly that I was born on Krypton. Oh well, and, uh, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, the story Good night, everybody. <laughs> um, I actually I have rather a unique uh, story for sort of the. Hold on one second. Mm -hmm. My wife was giving me coffee. I forgot to make it before this in my That's awesome little Bucks and Bucks mug. Um, ah, uh, so there you go. 
I, I can't live without coffee. It's a, yeah. Anyway, so most people these days, especially in this resurgence of communism and going on with reproletarianization, um, most people yeah. got radicalized around the Bernie Sanders movement and the failure of that. I was sort of re-radicalized by this. Um, my grandparents are from the Soviet Union. My grandfather oh. is Georgian and my grandmother is Kazakh. She's a Tatar. So they moved here uh, basically to, they weren't political or anything. They loved the communists. Don't get me wrong. I mean, everybody pretty much did. They brought industrialization, trade, et cetera, to poor villages that had never had it before. They moved here basically to have my dad in a more peaceful environment. Um, there, I mean, there were fascist uprisings, there was counter-revolution, et cetera. And so they moved here. Um, so I grew up in a house where my dad was sort of the product of, of you know, people who liked communism and were American immigrants. Uh, my dad was a union leader. Uh, throughout his life, he worked in the, the manufacturing industry. Uh, he worked for uh, Ford for a long time. And so I sort of grew up around the class struggle. When I was late teens, maybe I hit a really rebellious patch and uh, everything I'd sort of learned about Marxism, I decided was stupid. My parents knew nothing, right? Um, like most teenagers do. I told my dad I was an anarchist and I moved to Los Angeles, right? Um, that did not work out. I, I played music for a long time um, and all that kind of stuff. And I ended up moving back to the good old Midwest. And around the time, what we call, what, at the Midwestern Marx Institute, part of our, our theory that we're creating, there's a, a large sort of section of this called we call reproletarianization. And this is okay. basically the Marxist view in our in our. Uh, view actually, sorry, use the word view twice. The the Marxist view of the death of the American middle class, and okay. this reproletarianization causes just waves of radicalism, and that really inspired me. Seeing people like Eddie and Carlos just building this from nothing really inspires me. Seeing the Communist Party rebuilding inspires me. Seeing you and the guys at RBN. All of this just inspires me and it made me sort of ashamed that I had knowledge and the ability to try to do something and I wasn't doing anything with it. So it's funny, I contacted Carlos to ask him if he was accepting, uh, you know, freelance writers and things like this. And he was like, that's really strange. Eddie and I were talking and uh, just from your online presence, we really wanted you to come work with us. So um, that's how I joined that. Uh, I'm also a member of the Communist Party. And yeah, I, I mean, I organized in my community forever. As soon as I moved back to Cleveland, um, I got active locally to try to help. And that's that's my life. Wow. So you had kind of a base already, you know, from your grandparents and your father being uh, part of a union. I mean, that was more 
just a very economically left base, which dare I say, that's a privileged position from a leftist you know, perspective because you already have that foundation. And for you, it, 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 I, I, I know that you were talking about how it, it makes you happy to see a lot of this uprising taking place among us on the left. But I, I also imagine that it's a somber thought to see how this country is in late stage capitalism, but it's almost kind of like, it's kind of like seeing a little kid that's sick and they're really under the weather. You see them sweating, they're achy, but you realize that this sickness that we call capitalism is at its late stages and it's about to pass, but you just got to keep them comfortable, keep giving them the medication that they need, and it will pass through. That's kind of like how I feel. I'm starting to understand now is that the usefulness of capitalism is gone. And so it's, it's now become extremely repressive in nature because it's kind of shown its ugly face. See, back in the 50s, you know, we were showing the nice face to capitalism. We're like, oh, yeah, capitalism, this is happening. All right. Oh, you're white. I'm white too. Let's go out to the suburbs. Let's go to party. <laughs> I was going to say, at least white people were showing the nice face in the 50s, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and now, and, and 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 I hope some people don't take this wrong, but now a lot of white people are now starting to see what black people were seeing the entire time, the ugly face of capitalism. That is that is so eloquently put, brother. It's it's sort of that's part of our whole theory of reproletarianization and and the revolutionary mm -hmm. character of the proletariat. Um mm -hmm. The issue with capitalism, it was progressive, like you said in the beginning, right? It grew the productive yeah. forces like crazy. But that yeah. ends. And it really got a shot in the arm uh, around the, the sort of great, uh, the greatest generation era. And this, yeah. uh, they try to tell us is, you know, because the, the ruling class is just magnanimous or they wanted to show solidarity with the white working class, which is completely untrue. They were forced to do this, right? Yeah. Uh, by a militant working class and by mm -hmm. the existence of the Soviet Union. And as mm -hmm. they did it, they needed, in order for capitalism to continue going, to cut certain segments of the, po of the population off from leaving the proletariat and rising into a more middle-class position. And they did this through redlining, through Jim Crow, uh, the most brutal forms of racism. I mean, we could get into lynching and all of that. And it, at the time, we really only had the Communist Party, um, you know, struggling against lynching in an organized fashion. And mm -hmm. the existence of this is one of the reasons that whole middle class was created. But now... We're past that. The middle class is dying. And we're in this new yeah. era where everyone from those middle classes is falling down into the proletariat with us, but there's no longer an industrial base to absorb that. And so 
they're cut off from these relations of production that originally created the proletarian social consciousness in the first yeah. place. And this is what we call the re-proletariat. Um, people stuck in low-wage service jobs, burdened by debt. And they're starting to say, see exactly what the Black community has been feeling all along. And where I differ from a lot of people and where the Institute differs is that we see this as an opportunity for solidarity like never before in American history. Yeah. Um, whereas a lot of people are sort of looking for punishment, right? We want to move forward and make a better life for everyone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. One of the things I, I had this, this question popped up into my head. And you know how some will say, especially in regards to, let's say, hype the third party. And they'll say, well, if the third party gets a huge boost, then that will force the Democratic Party to move further to the left because it's going to threaten their power, right? Regarding the biggest socialist nation in the 20th century, the Soviet Union, was that kind of the same thing where it forced the capitalists to move to the left in order to keep people within capitalism so that they won't jump into socialism? It's like, it's like oh, snap, they're seeing that these people are actually doing really well. Okay, okay, quick, 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 make things a little bit better for them just so that they'll stay within the capitalist state. Don't give them too much, but make it a little bit better just so that we won't end up you know, losing our positions in power like during the Bolsheviks and during, you know, the Soviet Union. Is that kind of where is that kind of like what it was or am I off? uh, You're not entirely one or the other. Um, I think in the American situation, we had um, a very powerful what's called labor aristocracy. And this is what Lenin described as leaders of the labor movement, class conscious workers, union leaders, party leaders, that because of the relatively peaceful development of capitalism began to live a comfortable life and be easily bribed by the bosses. Mm. Um, Right. So, and not even just by money, uh, through social status, et cetera. There's all sorts. Yeah. Lenin talks about these people being bribed in a million different ways. Um, so they were able to sort of gut the CIO, uh, which was built by the Communist Party. Those were all red unions. Um, and they allied with the bourgeoisie against their own class and sort of carried through the creation of the middle class here. In the Soviet Union, it wasn't really the same because there wasn't really um, the propaganda apparatus that we had in our time. In their time, there were the liberal Democrats who were called the cadets and the socialist revolutionaries, which were a sort of anarchistic party focused on the peasantry. And then there was the Social Democratic Labor Party, which was Lenin's party which split into the Bolsheviks or majoritarians and Mensheviks, minoritarians. Um, And for them, there wasn't so much of this sort of 
um, being forced to give concessions or mm -hmm. any bribery going on, there was more um, just really a focus on the war and hunger. Mm -hmm. And the Bolsheviks were able to unite these and create this worker-peasant alliance. And it's funny because they really weren't all that popular until they were. It just happened suddenly. Things turned and boom, everyone was with the Bolsheviks. Interesting. That sounds kind of like what we're going through right now, especially a lot of millennials in Gen Z. And people will say, oh, my God, these, you know, these socialists and communists are, you know, making it popular among millennials and Gen Z. And I honestly think no capitalism is what made socialism and communism popular because really? it's like, yeah, because it's like. It's like being a little kid at your home and you have an abusive parent. You start to realize by, by seeing other kids at their homes and talking to other kids at school and you find out that they're not going through the same abuse that they're going through. And yep. so then you start to want your parents to be like their parents. And so you because of the abuse that you're going through. And so when you start seeing that, then you go, yeah, no, no, I actually want you to start, you know, um, allowing me to take, you know, showers multiple times a week and making sure that I get fed and making sure that I get to school on time. I actually want you to do all those things. And so it's like, oh, my God, they're being brainwashed by the kids. And really, it's like, no. We're actually getting our brains cleansed of the the brainwashing that's been happening at home, right? That that is precisely the Marxist view. Uh, Marx oh, has a good okay. quote on this, and he says, "It is not the consciousness of man that determines his social existence. Okay. It is, on the contrary, his social existence that determines his consciousness." So it is the world around us, our cre our conditions create yeah. and determine how we see them, right? They give it character. Um, yeah. As we're thinking, all that thought is based on our observations of the outside world. That's what creates what we are. And the conditions are what create the rebellion against capitalism, right? Because yeah. we see that our lives cannot go on in the old way anymore um mm -hmm. it follows what we call the laws of revolution or the general laws of development there is mm -hmm. some leaps in technology and the general contradictions of capital developing all the time go going on marxism is at its heart a, a study of change in motion and so these okay. create what we call a social revolution which yeah. is a change in the consciousness of people that can be harnessed subjectively by us into mm -hmm. a political revolution wherein mm -hmm. we overthrow the old class and establish mm -hmm. a state based on our class interests, our needs as working yeah. people. But that, that, I guess that because of the economic progressivism that happened in the Soviet Union, 
then there was a social progressivism that also was kind of the fuel for the Soviets to basically start, you know, going into their space programs. Is that correct? Because then, to be honest with you, they were becoming more advanced than a capitalist society technologically. And so because of that, it really drives that want to explore while still being good stewards of the planet, right? Precisely. And so that's that's what yeah, please go ahead. No, no, I don't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. Um well, no, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm actually, you're actually seeing the hamster running the wheel in my head right now as I'm, I'm literally learning right now. So from what it sounds like is that capitalism for the sake of profit is really stifling humanity, both economically and socially. So because if we want to advance more as a society, both socially and economically we need to let go of this burden this this yoke that we're carrying called the profit motive and really let it go for more community and social based or communist and socialism based types of societies because if we do not then really we're destroying ourselves because uh what was it um second thought and this was kind of funny he said it, but now it's starting to make sense that as you explain it to me, is that he said, a lot of you guys are socialists and don't even know it. <laughs> every every person I've ever worked with would support socialism and just has no idea. Um, they've yeah. just been poisoned against labels, right? Yeah. Now, yeah, yeah true. What you're, what you're describing is, again, exactly the Marxist view, brother. Like, <laughs> it's weird. Damn. I always say that learning Marxism for working class people is yeah. like just finally getting the words to describe things that we knew all along, right? Uh, that the boss yeah, exploits us, that yeah. there's something obsolete about this system that's holding us all back. While, while most of America struggles paycheck to paycheck, these billionaires sit on their asses doing nothing, soaking up these profits. And in order to do that, they must hold back the productive forces. And you can, a really good example of this is modern day China and computer and information technology. We have yeah. Apple making phones built to fall apart and break within a certain amount of time because yeah. they're not able to continually innovate or advance or it'll destroy their profit margin, right? Whereas in China, they can keep going and going and, you know, they've invented things like the artificial sun and doing it in a way that's uh, what they call the ecological civilization idea that's in harmony with nature. There's this myth in the U.S. that it's either we economically advance or we save the environment. But China proves that it's both at the same time that you cannot do one without the other. Wow. That is so cool. Like, for instance, a lot of times people will go, well, look at the Huawei phone and, you know, the, the Chinese are just trying to steal our, our resources and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, no, nah, they're, they're not. And somebody was, I, I, I know, you know, some people may not be too keen on TikTok, but I was on TikTok and somebody came across and they were talking about how um, China has their own internet and it's like a it's like a, a chinese firewall and somebody said well no it's so that the people would say oh because the chinese people they can't 
they're so oppressed that they can't, you know, see anything outside of China. And it's like, he's like, no, just go on Twitter. You'll literally see people from China that actually have their own Twitter accounts and actually see everything that we see. It's right. just that China wants them to not be subject to um, their data and information being stolen. And China gives VPNs for free to their citizens so that when they do come across any U.S. sites, they're not being subject to what we are subject to constantly outside. So right. they can see it's, it's almost like um, it's almost like a two way mirror. It's like a one way mirror. Like we're side, we can only see our reflection, but they're on the other side. They can see us. <laughs> and it's kind of like that. And it's just like, what? It's like China really takes care of their people. It's a wild thing. It's it, it's so strange to us in the U.S. to think yeah. of a government that actually serves the common people. That's so alien yeah. to us that people just don't believe it. You actually have to experience it. And mm -hmm. I, I'm friends with a few people who live there. And they everything you're saying is exactly how it is. I would only add that okay. it serves a dual purpose. Um, yeah. One of the big complaints from the sort of libertarian institutions is that they won't let Google or Facebook in. Why do they need Google or Facebook? They have their own search engines, their own social media. What they're doing is preventing their people from being subjected to our propaganda machine and algorithmic <laughs> uh, propaganda and uh, stuff along those lines. Um, there was a study, I want to say about 10 years ago, that came out of Harvard. So it's not like a communist sympathetic thing that uh, said that China was the place where the people were the most objectively informed in the world. And it's not that the party there doesn't spin things in a way that puts the party in a good light. They do. Right. But people know that they're told this. It's even common sense. And they aren't allowed to have big corporations giving their people false views of reality. That's the real reason behind Chinese censorship is to protect reality and the truth and the people from these giant corporations who can try to dupe and mislead us. Mm -hmm. uh, and from what I am observing now is that, like for instance, in Cuba, people will talk about Cuba as, uh, as repressive and things like that. And it's like, well, if they're so repressive, then why did they vote to, you know, ratify their constitution back in 2019? And they did the family code laws last year, which actually is more socially progressive than the United States. But that, I digress. So they have a extremely large and bountiful literacy in Cuba. Mm. Um, I think it's near 100%. Meanwhile, gosh, I forgot. I forgot how much of a percent, but it's a it's a, it's a huge amount of Americans that cannot read above a sixth grade level in this country. Um, my now, city, I want to say, I, I tried to look it up, but I can't find it. 
I, I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. I'm from the east side of Cleveland. And mm-hmm. in our city, we have like a almost a 70% illiteracy rate in adults. Oh, my God. That's disgusting. I'm, yeah. So I'm going to put it like this. And some people may not realize this because they just don't look at black history, but I'm going to tie it together. Back in the day, when my ancestors were helping build this country, they were barred from learning to read and write. Why? Because knowledge is power. That being said, if they are barred from reading, from being able to read or write, or there are placed barriers in front of them from learning to properly read and write in this country, or to have good reading comprehension, that is extremely repressive to keep the people at a depressed state so that they cannot rise up. If Cuba is so dictatorial, if Cuba is so repressive, then why in the hell are they allowing their entire population not only to be able to read, but be well-read at levels higher than the most powerful country in the world? No, you're absolutely, that's the case. You're absolutely right, brother. It's There's a reason that these communist revolutions that arose out of uh, countries that have been kept in states of backwardness, uh, yeah. like the Soviet Union, like Cuba, like China, all of Mm -hmm. them begin with giant literacy programs. Mm -hmm. There's a really famous painting, and I actually tried to get it, but it was too expensive, uh, from the Soviet Union of a woman shouting, and it's written in Cyrillic. It's one of my favorite paintings of all time, and it just says, free books. Wow. And this was all over Russia after the revolution. They One of the first things they did was party workers went to all these rural villages and built libraries. And they would go and say a mother had young kids, they would send Mm -hmm. a party worker to her house to teach her to read. That's wonderful. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting. I actually have like like 5,000 something books in my house. My (sighs) wife's a librarian and I'm an author. So like we get a lot of stuff. Man, maybe after this camera around my room. (laughs) You married the white one then. (laughs) He was like, I'm gonna give me a librarian, baby. (laughs) Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, and you know it's funny. Uh, I was raised heavily religious. I was in a religious organization. I preached door to door for almost 20 years, and I only read out of obligation because you know, I was obligated to, you know, we had to read. I really didn't like reading. But now since coming to the left and and growing in my understanding of these things, I'm actually enjoying, like, I enjoyed the hell out of reading books like uh, Blood in My Eye by George Jackson. I read it on my channel. That's on Rothin. I finished Dirty Truths by Michael Parenti. And what from what I heard, you can never go wrong with Parenti. So I read Parenti. And you know, I'm his currently... son is really good, too. I'm sorry, who? Uh, Michael Parenti's son is really good, too. I'm hearing that. Yeah. You know, 
real quick on Parenti, I want you to get back to this because I really am interested in sure. hearing it. But real mm-hmm. quick on him, we were talking about censorship, right? Yes. Uh, when he was in the Soviet Union, he was telling the story about um, all the people he was with. They're like, oh, these poor Soviets, they just don't have access. They're barred access from reading our brilliant economists and thinkers. And so the people he's with are asking, like the lady that's their guide, um, mm-hmm. you know, which American economists have you read? And she's like, well, I've read Milton Friedman. I've read Brzezinski's book. He's a political operator. And like went down the line, all of these American like right wing theorists. And he's like, what Soviet thinkers have you read? Do you know Lyankov, et cetera? And they were astounded. And of course they hadn't read a single Soviet thinker. So it's so strange. They always talk about the censorship, but we are the ones who are censored and we're just censored in this really insidious way where they tell us we're not, where they treat us like we're stupid. You know what I mean? It's a, it's an insult. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, to, to, to add to your point, look, I live in Florida. Look at what we're going through right now. Mm regarding Governor DeSantis and his banning of African-American studies in our in our schools, banning of critical race theory, banning of certain books. He's literally banning books in our state. And then you have to go back in your mind to history. Who banned books back in the 30s and 40s? Who was doing it? <gasps> Wasn't it the mustache man? <laughs> so hundred percent. I mean, we we can have our criticisms of bourgeois theories and thinking, but the idea that teaching black history and into one of the most integral parts of American history gets banned because he has some issue with critical race theory that I guarantee you isn't an actual criticism of the theory itself and more just a caricature, right? It's just Looney Tunes. It, it, it is terrifying that that kind of thing is happening. And here's the thing. The Democrats point themselves as a solution to this, but it is the relation between these two factions of capital that create things like banning the subject of black history. You know, it's not just one or the other. It isn't just DeSantis. It's the entire apparatus that creates DeSantis. Yes. Yeah. And I love that you said two factions of these capitalist institutions, because that's what they are. You know, two, you know, two wings of the same bird, two cheeks Mm -hmm. of the same ass. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's all the same. And. That's one of the reasons why those of us at RBN, myself, Savvy Sabs, and many of us are saying leave both parties because they are not doing you any good because the only interest they have is to keep the capitalist system in place and keep the capitalists in power. And that's the only reason for their existence. And their reason for existence is to keep you depressed and suppressed. And I was just thinking about this. uh, I thought about this yesterday and today. And this is for my black people out there. I have never, ever met 
a black socialist or communist or Marxist that wasn't pro-black. That wasn't what? Never pro-black. That was never pro-black. They were all pro-black. They were all pro-African people being liberated. But they realized that going through capitalism is just the opposite way. Because what enslaved us in this country in the first place? It was capitalism that created chattel slavery. Absolutely. And Marx talks about this. There is... Mm -hmm. Hold on. I'm sure I have it. Where is it? What was oh, it? it, it um, I, I have a collection of Marx's writings on the Civil War, and he talks about chattel slavery as a uniquely bourgeois form of slavery. And wow, without without American chattel slavery, he says, mm -hmm. and it's absolutely true. He he describes it all that capitalism itself could not have happened because everything wow. was based on British imperialism and cotton. For their textile industry, they used to call it the Cotton Kingdom because of this. Mm. And so, so the, to mm. to bring it back to what you were saying and things like Black Liberation, this was the 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 conclusion that all of our greatest historical revolutionary figures have come to: Martin Luther King Jr., W. E. B. Du Bois, etc. All of them recognize that it is socialism. That is liberation for the masses. You can have Barack Obama as president, but does that mean the black community is better off? Look around you. It is not, right? I'm not better off. Mm -mm. Exactly. And mm -hmm. and this is and this is one of the most brilliant parts of Du Bois and the genuinely pan, uh, revolutionary Pan Africanism that he basically created um, yeah. was that what it takes is class struggle. And the Marxist view of this is that black liberation is a concrete form that class struggle takes on in a particular history and situation. Domenico Lacerdo, who I think might go down in history as one of the most brilliant thinkers of our era, um, God rest his soul, he had this awesome, awesome sort of thought device for thinking of this. The genus is class struggle. The species is the individual struggle because of the historical characteristics that create it, that give rise to it. Remember that Marx quote we went over earlier about mm -hmm. the conditions creating social consciousness. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the black liberation struggle, the women's struggle, all of the, the labor, the, the union movement, all of mm -hmm. these are forms of the class struggle, which is a universal that arises and happens objectively because yeah. of the the contradiction that is bourgeois society. Yeah. Um, I'm just learning this stuff. Correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't Abraham Lincoln a fan of Marx? Mm. I think they were, they were writing each other. Well, uh, I, I know that I, I found out that Marx actually wrote Abraham Lincoln a letter decrying how terrible you know, chattel slavery is, so that could have also led to, you know, Abraham Lincoln coming to the conclusion that he did, even though it is still said that Abraham Lincoln still wasn't really keen on, you know, freeing the slaves for the moral reason, it's more, you know, for, you know, keeping the union in place. But 
even still, that it, it was basically like a little bit of a crack in there that Marx was able to get at, you know? Well, and yeah. so, yeah. Oh, I'm so, sorry. I don't mean to. I have a really bad problem with interrupting. Just keep no, no, going. No, it's okay. <laughs> no, I apologize. Okay. Um, no. But you're right. Marx uh, called it way, way before uh, the U.S. leaders caught up. And mm -hmm. um, if, if you're really looking for the best Marxist analysis on this, W.E.B. Du Bois, his book, Black Reconstruction in America, is one of the one of the probably founding documents of American Marxism, we could call it. Mm -hmm. And it discusses the civil war and how emancipation happened. Right. And you're right. Uh, Marx did send a letter to Lincoln and there's a reason that the communist party USA used to use a giant Lincoln head on its banners. Why Lincoln was uh, called the most heroic American of all time by the Soviet union. And he was studied mm -hmm. by communists all over the world. Mao actually wanted to posthumously um, make Lincoln, Jefferson, and Washington members of the Communist Party of China um, because of their revolutionary role in the progression of society, right? Um, wow. And so it's like really interesting to see that versus sort of the common notions on the left these days that arise out of the, all of the distortions of the last period. But mm -hmm. regarding emancipation it's so interesting the way Du Bois puts it because Lincoln and Johnson who came after him were incredibly progressive for their era and were both working they were proletarian um but of course they're men created by their era and they have their limitations Lincoln did not want to have to free the slaves because the thinking of the time even amongst the abolitionists is that this would lead the country into ruin because it would drive down the wages of free labor, black and white free labor, and it would then make prices fall and capital fall. Of course, Du Bois points out that this wouldn't be the case at all, that with a united black and white working class, the sky's the limit. And this is why he called Reconstruction a sort of embryonic dictatorship of the freedmen and, and proletariat. And it's important to note that it was freedmen first and proletariat because this was their home rather than the Northern soldiers that were down there. But something happens to the Northern soldiers who were integral in organizing the Union armies in the Civil War. They all went down there and all the leaders were literally like promising slave owners, don't worry, we're not gonna free the slaves, right? But as the war progresses, they realize that this is the only way they're going to win. And so they begin doing this, and rather than sending escaped slaves back, giving them jobs. And it wasn't the officers, but the rank-and-file soldiers who picked up on things before, be, uh, first, rather. And I think that leap in consciousness is very interesting from people who were taught that we aren't even the same species. To see these Black workers working next to them doing the same jobs and oftentimes doing better, right? Something clicks and changes. And all of a sudden your comrades, even as they're getting less, right? There were regiments that overthrew their leadership in order to put a more equal uh, squad together. It's, there's so many stories like that. It's crazy. Wow. So this is like, to, to tie it into everything else, 
it is always the working class that has the potential to play a more uh, progressive role. Got it. Got it. So one of the questions I wanted to ask you, and this was an amazing start. That was just after the first question. But um, what do you think is one of the biggest issues of the left that we face? And by the left, I'm talking about the Western left. Because, it, you know, the left as far as South America, the left as far as in Asia, even the left in African nations, they seem to be uh, more they seem to have more solidarity with each other. They seem to be more, um, I don't want to say homogeneous, but they seem to be more, just have a more togetherness as far as the direction that they go. What is one of the things that you think is the biggest issues and how do you think that we can solve it? That's a, that's a brilliant question um, because we look around and there's something wrong, right? I yeah. Mean, we in 91 when the soviet union fell the american left went away um i i actually i still remember my mom crying as she heard about the berlin wall falling uh that's oh like very gosh. very vivid in my memory um and she was saying this wow. is the end this is it it's over and people <sighs> gave up the the proletariat that was radical what was left of it at that time gave up and wow. It's sad, right? We went into full retreat. Our, our Communist Party fell apart. It split for the first time in history. Um, all, of the, all of the motion that was started during the civil rights movement was petering out. But capitalism moves on regardless, right? I think the real problem is that between then and now, the left became a middle-class thing. It was middle-class people who had the time to organize and did it for a moralistic reason. They saw injustice and wanted to fight it. And that's fine. But what that does, is it brings with it a middle-class social consciousness, which is very individualistic, very... Uh, it, it, at the Institute, we call this the purity fetish. It manifests itself right. most fully within the middle class in that if something isn't up to their subjective level of purity, they condemn it wholesale. And this is also based on the distortions that had a, a, a chance to arise in that period, making a whole generation of people who look to the left and see things calling itself Marxist, communist, socialist, etc., but not being actually that, being distortions, uh, a lot of times outright lies that has its roots in the CIA. Um, things like the, the Congress for Cultural Freedom and a lot of other CIA programs were created to start a fake left, right? A left that would be compatible with bourgeois society and never be able to overthrow it. And it, by definition, then has to take on two main issues the Black Liberation Movement, or three main issues, Black Liberation Movement, Communist Movement, Peace Movement. And they did that. However, capitalism continues going, right? The middle class is being destroyed as we speak. Reproletarianization is happening, and it's pushing all these new people into action. And so 
when we, as they're coming into this, they bring with them the middle class social consciousness that they're from. Their parents had okay lives in the suburbs, a lot of them, right? Yeah. They don't, though. They're denied this. And so yeah. they come into the left and are immediately greeted with that same middle class culture that arose in that last period. And so for me, uh, the major issue is overcoming that and refocusing on class struggle and putting the working class in the front of the, the sort of movement as it forms, reorganizing all of our institutions, rebuilding them, and sort of subsuming that middle-class atmosphere to a more proletarian one, one where things aren't pure, one where mm. we don't base things on subjective morality. Everyone's vulgar. People like you and I can sit here and talk and it's fine without sort of the cancel culture, et cetera. And the other prong of this is getting over bourgeois theories. The bourgeois left is huge in our era. The bourgeois academy, and Lenin teaches us this, serves the bourgeois class, right? Got it. So getting rid of their theories as they come to us through that middle class and getting yeah. back to Marxism through education is yeah. mandatory in doing this. So, from what you have just explained, this sounds indicative of some of the loudest voices within independent left media. Because one of the biggest gripes that I've had, and a lot of people, especially at RBN, at Indie News Network, uh, many people from MCSC and many others is that there's a lack of a sense of urgency. Mm. And I guess you can kind of use bourgeois and professional managerial class kind of interchangeably, I guess. Yeah, they're, um, they're sort of the, la the last part of the middle classes. Yeah. So these classes are more hyper-focused on identity, left identity, and they kind of take a back seat when it comes to left economics. Mm. Or they will they will declare you know fealty to left economics, but when it's failed among the when it is failed among the political class, then it's, oh, we just got to try harder. When those of us who are more proletariat-minded or labor worker-minded, we go, yeah, it hasn't worked for 40 years. We're going to go into a new direction. But then you'll have some that will say, you guys need to grow up. And then this is when we go, but it hasn't worked for 40 years. <laughs> what 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 do you expect us to do? Wait another 40 years and you know and 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 by that time I'll be in my 70s and I won't have you know I won't have social security to right. keep me afloat anymore. I mean it's barely that, afloat none now. of us will have retirement, right? Yeah. Our so kids, it's like I have a 13-year-old son. I am very worried 
about his ability to take care of his own family when he gets older. And I think you're spot on when you say they're hyper-focused on identity. And this comes from the middle-class social consciousness, right? They don't have a real class struggle. They're okay. They're not, they've never had to worry about paying the rent, right? Yeah. They've never had to worry about when I get old, what's going to happen to me, right? Mm -hmm. They've never had to, you know, decide whether to, which sibling has the mom or dad move in with them when they get old because there is no retirement. They have none of these issues. And so they focus on identity and the vast majority of them will cling to a sort of oppressed minority, even when they're not from this community and act as if they speak for that entire community, right? Mm -hmm. When we have someone who makes $300,000 a year saying they speak for say the gay working class or the black working class or whatever it is, they're operating outside the realm of reality. They don't experience society the way the working class members of this community do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. what What it does real quick. I'm sorry. I forgot what it does is they, they sort of isolate, over and over and over and over and over again. And you don't think of yourself first as a working class person or an American or whatever. You must think of yourself as the, the, the happenstance of birth. So I am a Jewish, white, cishet, male, working class person. And each of these hurt things must be at odds with the identity issues of others. And this is where the sort of bourgeois theory and ideology comes in. It sets us up because it removes class to act as if there are components of each of these that are contradictory with components of the others. So Mm -hmm. let's say I am a gay black woman, right? Mm -hmm. I am an antagonistic contradiction with a straight black man or a straight white man. Um, Mm -hmm. But that's not the case, right? There's no materiality behind that. While there are differences and there are some contradictions, they're not essential to what we are. And that's what's really important. What we are shares a commonality in what built us and the relations of production that create how we think, how we respond to challenges, what challenges we have, That is how everything we become is formed, right? And so this is the basis of what we call proletarian internationalism. And we could call it, you know, the anti-racist struggle or the anti-homophobia struggle or whatever it is in the American context rather than the global context. All of it has an essentiality in potential for solidarity rather than what they tell us which is that there's no potential for solidarity and these others are nothing like you and you should be enemies. Well, I mean, that kind of speaks to something I've said for quite you know, some time now is that when people embrace maybe transphobic, homophobic, racist, xenophobic, you know, or misogynistic type of ideologies 
really they're fighting against their own class for in and on behalf of maybe the bourgeois but most likely the oligarchs of this country mm -hmm. and so really if you're if you're ex expressing you know racist homophobic you know uh misogynistic or any one of these other types of ideologies really you're working against yourself 100%. So if if you're saying if you're one of those people who talks about black on black crime, it's like no 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 you're you're working against yourself. Mm -hmm. Or if you're talking about oh man these drag queens are reading to kids, I'm like you're literally working against yourself right now because yeah. you're you're focusing on the identity and you're letting or allowing the 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 oppressors who have all the power running out the the back door with all the money. And it's like, no, 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 you need to realize and recognize your humanity and how you are so much more closer to that person who puts on a lace front wig and contours that reads to sheltered dogs than you do to somebody like a Jeff Bezos. Because guess what? That person is, is a proletarian. They're working for a living just like you. So guess what? You need to throw that shit out of the window and start you know, coming, you know, in coalition with that person in order to overthrow these people who actually are dominating over us. You know, it reminds me of what Du Bois was talking about the Civil War soldiers. Yeah. Right. Um, and Engels talks about this quite a lot that the proletariat. So you can't just tell the working class the correct thing. It must experience it in order to learn it. Right. Hmm. And Gus Hall has a really good quote about this in a, a, a book he wrote called. Oh, God, I forget. But the, the name of the the essay is The Crisis of Petty Bourgeois Radicalism. And actually, one of the theoretical uh, projects I'm working on is expanding this into middle class American radicalism of today. And yeah. he says in this, people do not respond to commands or exhortations. They do not respond to ideas, even good ideas, unless they see their self-interest reflected in those ideas, right? So in working with these people who may have previously held some homophobic or whatever it is, uh, mm -hmm. ideas that they just sort of grew up with or whatever, that is how they learn they were wrong. And so for me, I try to focus less on what they can do and more on what I can do to make us more appealing than whatever misled them in the first place. And that's a really hard thing to do these days. It takes a lot of humility. Um, I swallow my pride quite a bit when I'm talking to people, you know, but it works. I, I'm a carpenter. I work in the finishing trades. So I'm around building trades and finishing trades guys all day. And they say some of the zaniest shit that i'm sorry to swear that you could imagine right mm -hmm. uh just xenophobia left and right you know all these mexicans are taking our jobs type of stuff but in explaining to them and talking to them i can show them that look that's not the case right mm -hmm. uh what's really going to make it happen overall is working right side by side though you know, and so being able to bring people in and show rather than tell, I think is important. Yeah. 
it, it you know this is just like um with bobby lee of uh, the black panthers mm-hmm. he had a bunch of white people saying they're shooting you just like they're shooting us mm-hmm. so what are we going to do about it you know and so it, it was really you know your life is being taken away by these same forces that are protecting capital just like it's taking our lives away you know and sorry go ahead oh okay i'll just cut in real quick um mm-hmm. here's something that the media never talks about and you hear a sure. lot because of the, all the work of the civil rights movement that mm-hmm. black people are killed by police at such like staggeringly higher rates than anyone else right mm-hmm. and there's a historical reason for that based in white supremacy at the same yeah. time more white people overall are killed than anyone else by police. What that is, is a chance for solidarity. But white people don't hear that, right? They don't see uh, this sort of commonality we have that the state's against all of us. And a coworker who actually began a very reactionary said to me the other day, he said, um, they're killing all of us now, aren't they? And I'm like, yeah, that sort of, solidarity against the ruling class thing is beginning to make sense isn't it (laughs) and it's it's a sad fact of reality that it 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 takes experience that people can't just learn this through talking a lot of the times um but it's happening and i think that gives that gives me hope and it inspires me at any rate yeah yeah, I, I said this before, and I'll say it again. I said black people are the canary in the coal mine. Mm. If they had us in shadow slavery and they're perpetually putting us back into it, what makes you think they're not going to do it to everybody else? Precisely. Because guess what? Guess what? White people are over 60% of the population. That's mm. 60% of a workforce that they could enslave into chattel. And create a lot more uh, products out of and extract resources out of and they're doing it now but it's not as extreme as the chattel slavery in the past but they're working towards it and people look at me like i'm crazy by saying that the fulfillment of capitalism is slavery and so when i say that i mean not just chattel slavery for people who look like me but for everybody across the spectrum, because we are just the trial period. People that look like me, now it's going to be the rest. And I, I liken it like this. And people, uh, you know, this is a good thought experiment. When the George Floyd protests were happening, a lot of white people actually saw what we meant. Because when they went up against the police force and they got their heads bashed in by police out there, then that's when they start to see, oh, this is what black people have been saying for years. Now I get it. I have the bump on my head to prove it. The problem is we didn't want you to have to bump your pet, bump your head in order to learn. But unfortunately, some people are now learning that. And even Savvy and me talked about last week how um whoopi goldberg on the view said is are white people going to have to lose their lives to police in order for us to change and i just i i i'm just it pains me i'm just like i think it that's what it may take and that's i don't want it to happen I but think if it does then, yeah. 
it's, yeah. it's incredibly sad. Um, things don't change because we have good ideas, right? Things don't change even because people are oppressed. If that were the case, slavery wouldn't have lasted a week, right? Um, feudalism wouldn't have lasted a month. What what changes things is the old system being unable to continue on. And I think reproletarianization is a sign that it's no longer able to carry on. And all of these other things are symptoms of this happening. Um, a lot of people call it neocolonialism, right? Sort of finance and finance capital um, expanding over the globe, globalization, etc., and holding other countries in perpetual states of underdevelopment is becoming more and more impossible, right? We have the rise of communist China, Russia, all of these independent nations outside of the empire are shrinking that, that sort of imperial holdings. And it's creating all of these repercussions here and deteriorating things here as well. And so this is a time for, I, I mean, it's it's what creates us, but it's also time for us to step up and fulfill the historical role that Karl Marx discovered the proletariat holds over 200 years ago. Yeah. So in, in your mind, what does that look like? Because... Right now, you know, there's a teaching phase, right? You have the Midwestern Marx Institute, RBN, where we're trying to teach um, through uh, our experience as black workers and black poor people. And we're trying to, you know, push people into not only leaving the two parties, but also pushing people to recognize that they have power and to wield that power as a proletariat because we really need a dictatorship of the proletariat. So what does this look like? I think I kind of answered my question, but if you want to expound on it a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Um, The beginning of it looks like this, right? Like exactly what we're doing right now. on the 24th, I'm going to Philadelphia. Uh, I'm going to be giving, being, a, I'm going to give a talk on a panel at the W.E.B. Du Bois Symposium, hosted by the Saturday Free School for Black Liberation and Socialism. Um, it, it's going to be these things creating a network of us, um, mm-hmm. and I, I think there's a lot we can learn from the Bolivarian Revolution on modern day revolutionary organizing. Mm -hmm. Um, Back in the day, you formed a communist party and you went and, you know, took over the Winter Palace. Things don't happen like that no more, you know? (laughs) They just don't. Mm -hmm. And so it's going to take a network of all of our class struggles in in forming a concrete organization that can give direction to action, that can coordinate and strategize and carry out tactical um, moments and actions itself. Mm -hmm. So I have said this before, and I I hope that this uh, makes more sense to some. 
But I always say that the people who lead these movements should be the most disenfranchised because the ones who are the most disenfranchised know the worst of capitalism. And by most disenfranchised, you know, I say people who are part of the proletariat, but also people who are black, indigenous, uh, people who are trans, people who are LGBTQ, people who were homeless, many people. Uh, is this possible and can this be achieved uh, in um, the West? I get, I get what you're saying. I don't, in history, it hasn't worked like that. Uh, Lenin was a lawyer, right? Mao was a teacher. Um, but these were, you know, uneducated, mostly illiterate rural peoples that had these revolutions. So mm -hmm. the USA is a very unique situation that mm -hmm. we are not, you know, capitalism forming. We are capitalism having developed and mm -hmm. develop past the point where it can continue on. So I don't really know about shoulds, but I do know that what happens organically is what we should go with no matter what it looks like, right? Mm -hmm. So as it, what we have right now is really a dearth of ideological leadership. There aren't mm -hmm. faces, charismatic leaders that people go, that's who I will follow into revolution. You know, I have people that I would, but the masses overall, we're not to that point yet. I think that what Marxism says creates this is the social consciousness of the industrial proletariat, right? Mm -hmm. That these giant factories and then lines of production to distribution, etc., creates all of this uh, socialized production and that creates who we are, how we deal with each other, et cetera. And leaders mm -hmm. emerge from that. Um, in our era, we have such small, like, storefronts, et cetera, that the re-proletariat is in, that I'm not sure that it looks like that. I think, though, mm -hmm. that it can't be from the middle class. It has mm -hmm. to be from the soil of the American people. And when I say people, I mean... It, in the, the sense of the demos, the common people. And then mm -hmm. whoever whoever it is, uh, the American way is that, you know, uh, the best, the, the best of the, what's the word? I'm, I'm trying to think. The cream rises to the top or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And I could easily see that being the most marginalized among us. I mean, mm -hmm. we've had great leaders from among these communities in the past. Think of it. it and if you want my opinion on revolutionary leaders, the best of the best were black Americans. Henry Winston, mm -hmm. W.E.B. Du Bois, even Fred Hampton, who's, I mean, whatever criticisms we have of the Panthers don't come into it. They were charismatic leaders that terrified the state. And that is yeah. what we need. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> I mean, they terrified the hell out of Ronald Reagan. <laughs> you know, in California. Uh, and so, uh, you know, it was really, they they actually taught classes, uh, you know, about, you know, Marxism, and they taught classes 
you know, about socialism and communism so that people would not only fight against the, you know, fight against the system, you know, from a black perspective, but also a proletarian perspective as well. Yeah. And that's something that, you know, that as being part of RBN that we also push for, you know, and that's something that I'm hopeful for is that we can continue to keep talking about this because it's either going to be a fascist a fascism that continues to go in this direction that it's going or socialism is going to smash the head of that serpent and i feel i feel like this is from my observation that right now we are in fascism it's just the snake hasn't bitten yet mm. and so in order for us to truly to truly get out of this system because fascism is going to strike us it's just it's, it's just ready to bite we have to crush its head with the the left by being socialist communist anarchist marxist what have you but that also means a coming together in order to put more weight in that boot that crushes this head. Right now, I think we're gathering the masses together through this education campaign. And now you have, for instance, the Democratic Party and the Republican parties that are now passing resolutions to denounce socialism and they're in the Congress. And now I'm hoping this gets out to more people. So now they go, well, what is socialism really about? So then they start going to Midwestern Marx. They start going to RBN. They start going to people like myself and Savvy Sabs and all of us, you know, and do dissidents. They start to go to all these different channels and go, oh, I understand. They just don't want us to actually own the means of production and distribution so that we can have a country that's ran by the workers. Right. They want to sit on their ass while we make them rich. Right. Uh, Basically, that's, that's <laughs> yeah. That. It's I I actually Carlos and Eddie at the institute get real mad at me because I always say this, but every cashier interaction I ever ever have, I try to spread a little bit of class consciousness, and so they go, "Hey, how are you doing today?" And I go, "Oh, I'm tired as hell. How about you?" And they go, huh, "About the same." And I go, "Yeah, that's a, that's what happens when they have you spending eight hours a day making somebody else rich, you know." And they laugh, but it makes them think because that's precisely yeah. what we do. Now, on the yeah. topic of fascism, I wrote a paper on the Marxist view of fascism for Midwestern Marx, if anyone's interested. But fascism always, when it arises, represents the failure of communists to seize the revolutionary moment. What fascism is from the Marxist view is the negation of the liberal order with the, as uh, Georgi Dimitrov described it, the open terroristic dictatorship of the most chauvinistic elements of finance capital. And he's written a, a, a lot on uh, fascism. He has a collection that uh, international publishers put out called Against Fascism and War. He's sort of 
the authority on fascism. And he explains a lot of the mistakes that led to the rise of fascism in Germany and Italy. And one of them is national nihilism um, or the denial of a revolutionary tradition within a given country. So the sort of middle-class um, denial of the progressive role of American history in order to just say America is irredeemable and evil, as if it is only, you know, the planter slaver class and not Harriet Tubman, right? It is only Andrew Jackson and not Martin Luther King Jr., etc. But what it is, is a contradiction. And it includes both of these things. The bourgeois class, however, has already developed and is therefore, from the Marxist view, undeveloping. As we develop as a class, it is at the same time the undevelopment of that ruling class. So for Marxism, the defining element of any given nation or country is the progressive aspect of that contradiction, the proletariat. So for us, the, the heart and soul of America is Henry Winston. It's Eugene Debs, right? It's this show right now, you and me talking. It is not, you know, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. It is not Andrew Jackson. It is not the, the destroyed slavers, et cetera, et cetera. Got it. Man, I'm still learning. <laughs> I'm oh, still learning, man. A lot, brother. I've been doing this for decades, and I am still learning. So don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. Fascism so is a fascinating the... uh, phenomenon, though, it, it, because it can teach us about everything we've done wrong, right? Mm. And if we look at it from this uh, materialist perspective, um, one of the best ways to put it is, they never call the KKK in Reconstructionism fascism, but it was, right? It was the most reactionary and chauvinistic elements funded by finance capital and Wall Street directly involving the ex-slavers, destroying what would have otherwise been the dictatorship of the freedmen and proletariat. Mm. Wow. Woo! And <laughs> I don't know, man. If is it is it accurate for me to? Well, I said this before. Um, I said, I said this on. Uh, I think this is Tuesday was it Tuesday or last Tuesday. I can't remember. But I said to some people, American fascism is a new thing for Black people. It's just another Tuesday. Absolutely, I like that. <laughs> yeah. So for us, it's like we know what fascism is because we've been living it for in it for four hundred years. Right. The thing is, is that some you know, and I'm not saying this to you, but you know, when I say some of y'all, y'all are just now finding out what the hell it is, and we're like, "Yep, this is why." You know, and and a lot of times people will go, "Oh, but you know, we have to get rid of." You know, some people are uh, talking about how we have to you know, get rid of, you know, guns in this country, things like that, which I I sympathize with people who talk about this, but I'm like, we talk about the, you know, gun reform, but nobody, 
who talks about gun reform talks about take, getting the guns out the hands of the police who are literally killing us and shooting us in the back. I'm like, until that happens, I'm ready to pick up arms and protect myself just like the Black Panthers did. And I encourage anybody, especially disenfranchised people to do what they can, join a gun club, get yourself some you know, protection so that just in case so that you can protect yourself because this system will not protect you. And you know, while I do feel for a lot of the people that are going through what they're going through, really what's going on is they are seeing the symptoms of capitalism that emerges in their life in real time. And so in order to start, you know, pulling this back, we actually have to take the power out of the hands of these oligarchs and put it back in the hands of the workers and the poor. Yeah. You know, Marx himself uh, said to never let the proletariat be disarmed. Never. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, you got to be careful uh, about not falling into ultra leftism. Speaking of the Panthers, one of the things that uh, Huey Newton said was that they carry guns around way too long. Um, mm -hmm. the, the idea was to put the notion in people's head that mm -hmm. we are people and we will defend ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, and it turned into a sort of left adventurism. But you're right. At the end of the day, the state ain't here to protect any of us. Right. Mm -hmm. It's there to protect the property of the ruling class. And yeah. I, I want to sort of get back to um, it, it, to what you said, like it, it's you people are just now understanding about white people. Yeah. yeah. It takes us a little bit. Give us time. <laughs> we're, we're a little slow. <laughs> <on the road. laughs> but, um, no, I, I forget who it was. I want to say Henry Winston, but it, I, I don't quote me on that. Uh, but the quote itself is great. He says that, Racism isn't for black people. Black people are controlled with guns and tanks. Racism is to control white people. And I think he's right. Um, and on that, we should not underestimate the accomplishments of the civil rights movement or the civil rights revolution, as it's often called, because it used to be commonplace in the USA for kids to be taught to be outwardly racist. And that's no longer the case. And that is a giant accomplishment that people fought and died to get. And I think this also part helps to lay the foundation for the opportunity for solidarity now, you know? Um, mm -hmm. Kids these days, the new normal is either anti-racism or a sort of passive, I don't care either way. And Lenin teaches this, that's all you need for revolution. Hmm. Wow. That's pretty based. Man, man, I ooh, this this conversation can go on for another like two, three hours, man. I'm telling you. This was great. Um, I didn't even get to all my questions. I have like like four more questions <laughs> that I didn't even get to. I'm a um, bit of a windbag. If you ask Eddie, especially he'll tell you. <laughs> nah, it's all good. Well, Look, you know. The thing is, is that a lot of times one things that one of the things that I'm learning is that once you learn it, you have to kind of throw it back out there just so that other people can find out what you learn. And you probably can put it into ways and terms in which other people have never heard it before. So now you're taking something that Marx may have said 
putting your own spin on it as far as understanding and then tossing it back out there. And then the person may go, oh, I never thought about it that way. And so that's, that's the beauty of having people like you who speak about this from your experience and from your, you know, uh, from your lived experience. And so I, I appreciate it. Oh, thank you, brother. I appreciate everything you do. This is, thank you, you. you got, you're one of my favorite people on the internet, man. I love oh, all man. of RBN. Uh, I really wish I could, I could watch more stuff. Usually I'm at work though. I'm listening to audiobooks and stuff, but yeah, it, 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 the appreciation definitely goes both ways, brother. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, by the way, everybody, uh, did you like the stream? Are you subscribed yet? Go ahead. Do hit that, hit that little red box for me. But uh, just to let you guys know, also links in the description to the Midwestern Marks website, as well as to Noah's Twitter and the Midwestern Marks YouTube channel. So go ahead and do that. Also, by the way, if you're on TikTok, go ahead and subscribe to Midwestern Marks on TikTok too. They get their TikToks taken down multiple times. And so oh, we keep getting banned, but they ain't stopping us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ain't no stopping us now. <laughs> we on the move. <laughs> Can I plug something real quick, Jay, before we go? Oh, yeah. Sure, sure. Just came out. Journal of American Socialist Studies, Volume 2. Uh, this, oh, is, okay. this is the journal we put out with Midwestern Marks. Uh, there's stuff by me in here. There's stuff by Carlos in here, Eddie. Nice. There's an interview with Noam Chomsky in there. And yeah, I know we have criticisms of him, but put the purity fetish away. The interview's awesome. He is spot on about the war and all that. So yeah. Yeah. Oh, Noam Chomsky has some good points. Um, Absolutely. You know, he has his, you know, I, I mean, if I if I were to go into a camp, I would go in Parenti's camp, but Parenti <laughs> is not well right now, and he's up in age, unfortunately, and so his mind is kind of going, unfortunately. Um, but at the same time, there's some things that Chomsky is pretty spot on, so I'm not going to completely discount him just for being wrong on a couple of things. But at you can the same tell, time, you can tell you're not you know, from the middle class. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm poor shit. But, <laughs> I feel you. but that, it's the purity fetish, right? And it it has a tanky form as well. You know that they go, oh, you said Noam Chomsky, screw it. It's like no, mm -hmm. hear the man out. Listen, a lot of what he says is not bad at all. Yes, he's wrong about communism and the Soviet Union, but who cares? Get what you can from where you can, you know? Yeah, that's true. Like, for instance, I'm I'm reading on my channel the, the autobiography of Asada Shakur, and I'm getting into that, you know, and reading different people. Um, I, you know, and, and like we, we talked in private, you know, you gave me some recommendations where to start on my journey into Marxism, and I'm starting that. Um, I'm going to see about getting some books right now. I'm negative in my bank account, so I ain't got nothing. So uh, a brother is broke. But it. once I'm able to get that, then, you know, um, I'll be able to start reading those on my channel. And then I also am thinking about I was thinking about maybe Rosa Luxemburg for next because I wanted to I wanted to get into I wanted to kind of make sure that I get into 
theory written by women too, because I want to make sure I give them an equal ear or eye as far as reading. Um, but also, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I, like I said, I have a problem with interrupting. I'm so sorry. No, no, you're good. You're good. Um, you're good. <laughs> I would. So the reason you don't have as many female theorists is the women's oppression, right? There's a historical reason for that. There are some yeah. brilliant ones. Rosa Luxemburg is okay. Um, I would recommend Anna Louise Strong oh, or okay. uh, Clara Zetkin is really good as well. Oh, but okay. Emily Strong has she was a Communist Party USA member. Brilliant, brilliant. Uh Claudia Jones, she's another one. Brilliant, brilliant oh. writer. Okay. She was actually um, I want to say a Trinidadian immigrant to the US and uh a journalist and party member. Yeah, good stuff. Okay. Speaking of Trinidadian, I also wanted to get in Kwam into Kwame Ture. Mm. Um, he's my birthday twin, so I kind of <laughs> you know, I like I want to kind of get into you know, Kwame Ture uh, as well. Um, start listening to more of his speeches. Um, Parenzi's speeches, like the yellow Parenzi speeches oh. on YouTube. Those are gold, but I also want to do yeah. some Kwame Ture as well. I yellow Parenzi, like everyone should listen to yellow Parenzi at least once a day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Parenzi is, man, Parenzi is based. I, I, he could have let us. He could have let us. Yeah. I'm telling you right now, I read this book. It was so easy to understand. Mm. I was like, what the heck? Like, yo, I was like, I am so excited to learn more. And then, oh, by the way, before I let you go, because I wanted to say this, you were talking about uh, introducing uh, leftism, Marxism, socialism to, to, to people who are workers. One thing I always tell the drivers who are driving me to dialysis, I'll tell them, wouldn't it be awesome if the drivers and the dispatchers and all the workers there actually owned the company and they were able to dictate how the company was ran democratically and you guys got all the, the profits from the company and shared it amongst yourselves? Every single driver's like, yes, that would be amazing. I'm like, and I don't even tell them. Oh, I guess you're a socialist then. I don't even tell them. I just introduce the idea to them. And then once I see them again, I'll start being like, well, you guys are making all this money for these people at the top and they're not doing a damn thing. That's exactly how the Soviets got the peasants on board for the worker peasant alliance. That was literally the form peasant property took. And it's good for that sort of the lower end of a middle class like that. And the re-proletariat, boom, that's what they resonate with. That's why... Uh, Professor Richard Wolf is so popular, right? Because he talks about yeah. cooperative enterprise. Wow. Man, this is exciting. I cannot <laughs> wait to have you back. Yo, you know what? Ideas, ideas. I would love to have a panel with you as well as your comrades from Midwestern Marks on at the same time. Mm. <laughs> that would be great because then it would be like having professors in front of me and I'm the class by myself and I'm just like all right go ahead lay it on me baby you know that would be amazing so I I can't wait to have more of you guys on because I, I'm current like you guys are literally seeing me learn as we speak I am just learning and you guys are seeing me grow I say that I'm a socialist but I am very comfortable with communists 
I'm making my way up that mountain. Uh, I haven't reached the mountaintop yet, but I'm 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 tracking. I'm going. So hey, you guys, you guys got me. Yeah. Remind me to explain to you the the Marxist view of socialism and communism in those words sometime. It's interesting. I think you'll like it because it's not the way we're taught. Oh. Okay. I mean, I'm happy to do so now, but it, it, I don't know if you have to go or whatever. I don't. Okay. I was just trying to be respectful of your time. Oh. I do have one other thing I have to get to tonight, another interview, okay. actually. But uh, it's there's no time limit. So, interestingly, um, socialism as a word develops out of the old utopian socialists. The first okay. guy to use it in English was sort of the third generation of utopians, Robert Owen. And okay. it was used not as some preconceived notion of a thing, right? Where socialism is when workers do X, Y, or Z, etc. It was none of that. It was used in distinction to liberalism. Whereas liberalism or a republic, a liberal republic, was a society that served the individual interests of its ruling class that caused a lot of chaos and in Robert Owen's opinion, immorality. Socialism would be a society that serves society itself. So communism, um, Marx only writes communism is one time that I'm aware of and it's in the German ideology, which was actually a book that was supposed to originally be the first issue of a magazine that he and others were putting together. And he says that communism is not for, let me get the, pull up the quote. It's, it's brilliant. Uh, hold on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He says communism is for us, not a state of fair of affairs to which is to be established an ideal to which reality will have to adjust itself. We call communism the real motion which transcends the present state of things. The conditions of this motion result from the premises now in existence. So in order to understand what Marx is saying here, we have to understand that his premise, his whole way of thinking is dialectical materialism. We began human society as a communal species that labored together in order to survive. Property arises because we advance and cleaves us, alienates us from each other um, based on this property, right? So it is, and the, the process of society becoming itself is property becoming itself, going through all these different forms until it reconnects in the end. And we get what Marx called the return to the community on a higher level of development. So we develop to a higher stage, then a higher stage, then a higher stage. And then we're back at that community because property is at such an advanced state that private ownership is no longer even a thing that can exist. It is obsolete. Okay. So yeah, that's socialism and communism from the Marxist view. Okay, so from what it sounds, okay, I'm not that bright, so please bear with me. Neither but, am I, don't worry. <laughs> But, but what it sounds like is real actual communism is just the embracing of 
living together almost in, in, in a village or a tribe. And or all then of society, really. Yeah, all of society really being one tribe. Mm -hmm. And as we continuously grow technologically, that treating all of society as one tribe or as one family does not cease to exist. We all continuously think of each other as related to one another. Therefore, it is not a, a individual responsibility. It is a social responsibility that continuously keeps us connected. And it means that when you hurt, even if you're on the other side of the world, I hurt. When you have joy, I have joy. And so in order for me to actually be able to succeed, my success is dependent on you also having success materially, socially, and spiritually. Mm. That, that's very insightful. You know who I think you would really like is Che Guevara. Oh. Che Guevara, I was, we were oh. talking before the, the show. Yeah. He is so underrated as a theorist. And he has this theory he calls yeah. the new socialist man. And what these more advanced relations of production form in us and how mm -hmm. we can sort of speed that development along through uh, communist discipline, sort of. The way we conduct ourselves, the way the party conducts itself, et cetera. Um, and it's a more, you know, a more communal person that arises out of this. Yeah. Um, yeah. The process of communism for Marx, and he, Marx is weird. He uses the same words differently in different contexts. So we got to understand okay. that. There's been so many arguments trying to act as if Marx set down universal definitions, but he never did. That's sort of part of the dialectic. As you learn it, you'll get that. But um, for Marx, the process is everything, but there's also this, this nodal point of change when we are within a communist society. So mm -hmm. when you learn the laws of the dialectic and how change happens, you see that a revolution is a change in the essence of a thing. Society is no longer bourgeois society. It becomes communist society and all of the institutions mm. are built anew, etc. Now, remember the last sentence from that quote, the, uh, the conditions of the motion result from the material present premise now in existence. Or as Lenin put it, we do not build socialism with human material of the future or human material that we make of our own accord. We build it with the human material in existence, in reality, right now. That is the foundation of what we build everything out of. So that's why you see Chinese socialism looking different from social or Soviet socialism, right? Cuban socialism looks different from Laotian socialism. American socialism will be only American socialism and made out of the material premise that creates us. So that would look like what, like for instance, with the Black Panthers, they were doing uh, free clinics, right? Mm -hmm. So then we started to focus in on healthcare. 
then we start to focus in on things like housing. Then we start to focus in on food, like locally grown food. Then we start to trade and barter the food and things like that for goods and services. And so then that starts within these uh, small areas and then grows and grows and grows. But it is being held back by capitalism. But if capitalism is overthrown via revolution, then these things are more just grassroots or organic and they start to grow because we start to help one another without the need for profit mm. um it's, I, i'm just trying to that one's that one's like a, a very long explanation oh um, well yeah okay yeah, so <laughs> it's the what we have right now in american society is a highly advanced productive base that got so advanced that it began de-industrializing right and this leads to the mm. computer revolution and technological production no not a lot's made here anymore right mm -hmm. so our socialist revolution must uh, uh, it, it must account for the material interests of our working classes the proletariat and reproletariat and so, and, and a lot of the, like the smaller petty bourgeoisie, right? Like if you own your own restaurant, stuff like little tiny, piddly stuff like that. But mm -hmm. um, so all of this is here. We need to somehow give the people a, a life where stability and security are achieved, right? Yeah. And so bringing production back here will be huge in that, right? Yeah bringing the factories back. Um, but also at the same time, without the need for these giant uh, cartels to make billions and billions of dollars with the state supporting that instead, we can advance our technology to the point where we can work less and less, right? Do you know how much uh, communists used to fight to lower the working day? The eight-hour day in America was won by communists, um, just as an example. And that's actually the fight for the eight-hour day is what started the holiday of May Day, the original workers' holiday. Um, the story of Labor Day is actually kind of funny. Labor Day is on Lenin's birthday. And oh. it was created on this day in order to – oh, no, no, not Labor Day. Uh, Ecology Day is Lenin's birthday. But Labor Day and Ecology Day, all of these were created uh, in an effort for workers to, to strip workers of our solidarity, especially internationally and especially with the Soviet Union. Got it. Wow. Sorry, I tend to ramble, man. <laughs> no, I no, your rambling is good. Your rambling is really good. I appreciate it. Look, Noah, I am so glad to have you on here. It was definitely a privilege to have you on. I it, learned a lot. Absolute pleasure on my part, brother. Thank you very, very much. Yeah. Also, guys, please make sure to give Midwestern Marks a follow on YouTube as well as follow them on Twitter. Uh, also, Noah Krejcevic. Uh, yeah, yeah, you got Krejcevic. it. Krejcevic. Sorry. That's um, all and All so give him, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, get, give him a follow on Twitter as well as go to Midwestern Marks. Um, actually, let me share my screen really quick because I want to make sure that everybody has it. 
If you guys have not gone to Midwestern Marks, you guys can go to their websites as well because they are based and I really am enjoying the content as well. So this is Midwestern Marks, their website. Go ahead and give them a follow. They also have books. They also have reading lists, which I'm already looking at so that I can educate myself a little bit more as well. So thank you so much, Noah. Oh, Sorry, my pleasure, brother. Oh, I was going to say on the contact tab there, there's a mm -hmm. thing called Marks of Capital. If anyone just wants to complain about their boss, the cops, your landlord, whatever, click that, fill out a small form. We want to hear from you. Uh, we read those live in our live streams. So, yeah. But it's it's been a real pleasure, Jay. Thank you so much for having me on, brother. It really means a lot. Thank you so much. And I definitely will have you on soon. So keep your DMs open. You got it. All right. Bye-bye. All right. So thank you guys so much for being here. Um, I'm going to go through some super chats and then I will chat with you guys for a second. So thank you to Kyle Kambach says solidarity solidarity with you as well thank you so very much for the super chat danny knapp says now you're slightly less broke jb take care <laughs> thanks i wish that was enough to cover the 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 deficit in my account but that will get have a a, a nice uh chip away at it so i appreciate it very much let me check uh rockfin to see I don't see anything right now. Let me refresh that just in case. And let's say hello to people who are also in the chat as well, because I got to say hello to all of you because I miss y'all. All right. So, uh, <laughs> no, Cobra says, no, I drop links. <laughs> yeah, I, I I just put that, the Midwestern Marks. Uh, did I put it in? Did I put it in the, the, the chat? I can't remember. I'm getting old, y'all. JB's getting old. JB's getting old. Okay. Good. Thank you so much, Sean Miller. The Quantum Alchemist says, and it happens that the eight-hour workday is where humans are at their 100% capacity. If we go beyond that, our productivity drops a lot. Okay, thank you so very much. Wadi is in the chat saying, thanks, JB. Thank you so very much. It's good to see you as well in the chat. All right. Thank you so much, Gamer for Life, as well. I appreciate that. Casey McIver says, I mean, we can learn about socialism the way Europe did in the 40s. The country gets bombed to ash, <laughs> and then we can start from scratch, or we can streets and fields unite class war now shut this ish down thank you so very much also sg is in the chat says thank you noah and jb thank you so much sg that means a lot hoborodi is also in the chat giving us kitty cat faces all right queer black socialista says noah is great thanks jb thank you so much queer black socialista 
All right, my my rainbow fam is in the chat. Pachico is also a JB member. It says thanks, JB, Noah, and y'all. Thank you so very much. All right. Just looking at people who I haven't get to say hello to yet. Uh, Rocco Vicky says there is any way to accomplish this by amending the Constitution through a win by challenging this in a case through the 14th Amendment for equal protection of the poor federally. I don't know. I there, There's a part of me that thinks that it's going to have to take like physical boots on the ground in order to change our government. To go through that process, I don't know if it's possible. But I mean, I'm not going to down anybody who wants to try. But I just, I have less, I have less faith in the electoral system than I did six months ago. And I had very little faith six months ago. So it's dropped quite a bit. But if somebody can change it, by all means, you know. <laughs> Forehead kisses to you, COVID commander. <laughs> oh, man. So good to see all of y'all. Rick Solis is in the chat saying, great conversation. Thank you so much, Rick. Oh, man. So, you see, thank you so much, Casey. You're always in the chat, and you're always so supportive. You are you are so, so kind, so sweet. Thank you so very much for being here. We also have Oatman Barker says, it happens, man. <laughs> Uh, Baba Yaga Forest Dweller says, what's uh, what's JB email? I want to send him an email or I'll DM him Twitter. Uh, I'll put my email in here. There's my email. Uh, so if you guys need to email me, should have that more posted, but eh, oh well. I'll make sure to do that. Uh, let me see who else that I didn't get to say hello to. A non-user. Good to see you. Says revolution is the only answer. Yeah, I'm pretty much there. I'm pretty much there. But Hobo Rodi says four ten-hour days is good for some jobs. Three six-hour days is better for others. Jenna Colby says, hello from uh, Chernobyl-led Western Pennsylvania. Oh, man. Oh, man. Humanitarian class aside, says wealthy corporate billionaire class owns the government. Yep. We got we to gotta get them out as well. Yeah, of course. Uh, that It's open to anybody that wants to send me anything um, for the most part. So, and checking for Rockfin to see, yes, I do, I do have it. Okay, so let me go to Rockfin, the rock, the rock, the rock, the rock is on fire. 
We don't need no water. Let the mm mm burn. All right, hang on. Let's go to the rock. JB, we didn't land on the rock. The rock landed on us. Dave Burt, good stream. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much, Dave Burt. Dave Burt, Burt, Ernie. Dave Burt also says this is really good insights at moments is what meant. Thank you so very much. And thank you so much for the tip on Rockfin as well, Dave Burt. Not not related to Ernie, Burton Ernie. Sorry. <laughs> I'm being silly. Anywho, um, wait, Jenna Kobe says JB's going to get so many love letters and puppy pics. Look, I am down for puppy pics. I'm down for kitten pics. Oh, uh, red pandas and, and giant pandas. Um, what else? What else? Uh, yeah. Um, if I do get love letters, uh, sorry, sorry, ladies. Uh, yeah, I'm into the guys. So yeah, I'm 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 part of that. I'm on the rainbow side of the force. You know what I'm saying? You know. What I'm saying? So you know, unfortunately, you know, I I can't. I can't return that affection. But if you want an adopted brother, JB gotcha. I gotcha. All right. Also, I'll be your wingman. And I'll approach that guy for you. And I'll be like, hey, see see my see my homegirl over there? Yeah, she she's she's kind of sweet on you. I, I got you. I got you. I got you. <laughs> All right. Now, uh, if you guys have not then you guys can also go to my Substack for email notifications and you guys can get those because the YouTube notifications are not that reliable. So if you guys want to go there and get notifications through there, then you guys have that as well. Uh, and just to give another thanks to the patrons on Patreon, Coffee and members, thank you so very much. Without you guys, I would not be able to do this. I also have them scrolling on the bottom of the screen as well because they help keep the lights on literally also i'm going to be getting into the next reading for asada shakura's autobiography i got to get into that um and then when i can afford a books some books then i will get some more books because yeah Capitalism is a pain in the booty right now. But if anything else, I will be getting going. Plus, a brother is hungry. I got to eat. And plus, I got to make my family dinner because, well, what's for dinner tonight? Spaghetti and meatballs. That's what's going to be for dinner. Um, so I got to get cooking. Thank you so very much to everybody for tuning in. Uh, I will be on the JB show on RBN tomorrow, as well as tune in to do dissidents. I will be a guest host tomorrow at 4 PM Eastern standard time. So you guys can tune in to see me with Keaton Weiss at do dissidents. It's going to be fun. We're going to have some great conversations there. Be sure to tune in.
So thank you so much. Water your plants, water yourselves, leave the world better than you found it. Smoke them if you got them, drink them if you got them. If you ain't got it, then watch something funny because joy is revolutionary. Read some Marx <laughs> or Lenin or hell, read some Newton or Du Bois or, you know, read some Asada. Go ahead, pick up a book because reading is fundamental. Thank you so very much. Mwah. Oh, by the way, by the way, mwah, forehead kisses. You know I love you, right? Go ahead and caress that subscribe button. Caress it.